really well done. Also, well done, Ben. I mean, you don't know this because I do it normally. Doing the computer, especially when you're singing songs that you're not that familiar with, is really, really hard work. Getting the words when you don't know them and keeping up pace with them. So Viv did a great job and Ben did a really good job as well. Well done, Ben. Because it's... Um, it's not easy, and it's nice for me to get a week where I'm not, not doing it. He usually has to persuade me, because I'm always sort of, well, you, but you don't know the songs, and he rightly said to me this morning, well, you don't know them either, so <laughs> fair point, really. Um, this touched on something as well at the beginning um, about visualising, using your imagination. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the church would look and say, oh, you don't want to do that, because that could open you up to all sorts of things. God gave you an imagination and he wants you to use it. Chris says a wonderful thing. Chris Vallotton says, the Lord didn't give you an imagination to be a playground for the devil. He gave you an imagination to use it for him, for you to be called into the fact that there are things that you can't think, dream or imagine. And he wants you to realise there's more. It's a great line. The God didn't give you an imagination to be a playground for the devil. He gave you an imagination to be drawn into his presence. It's really, really good. Um, and that, that image you were drawing about being drenched. Um, there's a great video on, on I'm sure it's on YouTube now. It was made a good 10, 15 years ago by a guy called Rob Bell, who made these things called Numa, the little stories to tell a point. And look it up. There's one called Rain. You can, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. If you type in... Uh, Rob Bell Rain or Rob Bell Numa N O O M A Rain. It's he tells he tells this story and then you see it reenacted. And I I have played it to a room full twenty men straight off an estate straight off Puttershaw and not one of them had a dry eye at the end of it. Not one of them. They all sat there and were like, "Oh my word!" And that trying to get that picture of how much God wants us to be soaked in his goodness and soaked in his love. It's a really, really powerful video. Again, there's quite a few of them. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are not, not as good. Um, and I, I don't... Um, some of Rob Bell's theology I probably struggle with a bit. But some of the Numa videos are just stunning. So look up, look up Rain and it'll, it'll put a picture in your mind. Rain as in... Rain as in what we get all the time in this country. <laughs> Sorry? No, no, sorry. Good point, actually. Yeah, given how much I normally preach on the rule and reign of God. Yes, reign, R-A-I-N, not R-E-I-G-N. Yes? Okay, cool. Have a look. So, you're all looking forward to it, aren't you? You're ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? I told you. I listened to one of the old sermons and I said on the start, I've got into the Tim Vine Appreciation Society. So you're basically going to get Tim Vine from now on because he's just a genius. My wife asked me if she could put a tea bag in my mouth and fill it with hot water. She must think I'm a right mug. <laughs> this is my favourite one. Ah, oh, Grandad. I remember Grandad. He was such a lovely man. Such a lovely, lovely man. And he was always telling us about the stories of when he, he fought them on the beaches. He was a lovely man. He was a really bad deck chair attendant. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> yes, the ones that you have to work out make you groan more, but they also, you know, stick in your memory a little bit more. So, another week on Revelation. Doing some more stuff on Revelation. We've done quite a few now. I've taken us through quite a few. And I've tried to make clear... What at least I, you don't necessarily have to agree with me, think Revelation is about and what it's not about. Because I think a lot of the church has spent a lot of time looking at actually what Revelation isn't about. And I've sort of said all the way through, I want us to try and look at the big themes and the big pictures. Because it's not about trying to analyse every little metaphor and image that there is in Revelation. When you do that, you literally end up not seeing the wood for the trees. You see, I've said to you, it's not about defeat and destruction. 
which so often when people read it, that's what they think because of all these battle scenes that go on and everything. Actually, it's about victory and recreation. That's the theme of Revelation. It, it's not about some distant future. It's about now. As well as the future. And actually, it's always been about now. For the whole 2,000 years, it's being read. Because it's always got something to say about the present time that believers have been living in. That's part of the power of what's called apocalyptic. This is the type of genre, the type of book it is. It speaks both now and to the future because it's prophecy. Remember, I told you it says it's a prophecy. And prophecy foretells and foretells encouraging and explains what's happening as well as calling us into the future that God has. The revelation through the reason of Jesus, John see and help us see that there are heavenly realities and reasons for what John and the rest of the church were, are and will be going through. One of the things to sort of learn as a believer as you grow is to understand that there's always a heavenly reality. There's a spiritual world and there's our earthly world and the two should be very near each other. Remember the video we watched the last time I preached? If you weren't here, again, you can look it up, look up the Bible project, Heaven and Earth. It's a great video saying how the plan of scripture is for all of God's reality to become our reality. For them to become the same thing. And what happens throughout the biblical narrative, the biblical stories, there are times when there's a breakthrough point where heaven hits earth and nobody questions it. So when the priests are sacrificing at the creation of the new temp of the temple, what happens? Fire falls on sacrifice and the priests were overcome by the presence of God. And we see this pattern of sort of heaven touching earth every so often in the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes and he brings his world with him. And it gets to stay in us. He brings the kingdom, his rule and reign, the rule and reign of God brought present onto the earth for it to continue through us. So now heaven and earth are like that and increasingly they become like that if you can see my hands that way around and that's what's happening John's getting a glimpse from Jesus into the reality that heaven and earth interact with each other Revelation is not meant to confuse us and make detail about what they think is there. It is there to encourage and to excite and to invite us to see that heaven realities will keep on impacting earthly ones. Until, it says in Revelation 13, the kingdoms of man have now become the kingdom of our God. That's the pattern. Revelation says there is a battle going on that we are part of. But we know the end result, so keep fighting. Don't back down. Don't get watered down. Don't stop. Keep following the Jesus who died, who is now glorified in heaven and who rules and reigns forever and whose rule and reign is coming on earth and will continue to come until the kingdoms of man become the kingdom of our God. That's the revelation picture. If you want, uh, often songs, I was saying, you know, the songs we sang this morning I thought were great. I didn't know most of them. Um, I do love that unbroken praise. That's going to that's gonna become one of, one of my playlist songs for the next few weeks. I can, I can feel it coming on. But if you want a, a song that summarises what I think is the real message of Revelation, who remembers the old song from all the, For All the Saints? For all the saints who from their labours rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed. It has a great line in it, which should hopefully come up if we can get that working. And when the fight is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear 
a distant triumph song and hearts are brave again and arms are strong. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's a great, actually it's a really great hymn. Revelation says there is a battle. There's been a battle going on in heaven. There's a battle going on in earth. The two are linked, but God wins. Being part of that two manner by worshipping. Because Revelation makes clear that worship is warfare. We touched on this at the, at the very first sermon I preached on Revelation. Um, and most of them, I'd have to say, unfortunately, not all of them. Most of them are on the podcast. So if you've missed one, you can go back and listen and be as confused the second time as you were the first time. And hopefully by the third time, you've got it all. Worship is a key theme in Revelation. The word worship gets used 24 times in Revelation. Well, at least it does if you bother to read it in Greek. If you read it in English, you get a bit more of a struggle. Because 24 times the Greek word, which I'll try and pronounce for you in a moment, because I've got it written in my notes and I can't remember how to say it now. Proscunio, proscunio is the Greek word, gets used 24 times in the Greek version of Revelation. But the highest I ever found it in an English translation, and I looked at 15, was 15 times in the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. 15 times it translates the word that's originally in the Greek, worship, as worship. It's all right. On the other versions, what happens is it gets translated as bowing or prostrating or stretching and it's a challenge because in greek the same word it's the same word all the way through proscunio but what they're trying to get at is that the root meaning of that word is more than we think of worship often because it's made up of two greek words it's what's called a compound proscunio pros means to come near cunio means to prostrate Actually, the picture is to bend and to kiss the hand of somebody else. Particularly, you know, if you go and meet the Queen, the Queen, who's been watching the crowd, flicks, anybody seen that? Quite offhand. And he kisses the hand of the sovereign to show submission. That's the picture of proscunio. It's to come near and to bend to kiss the hand of your master. In some Greek texts, not in the Bible, but in some Greek texts, the word is used for when a dog licks the hand of its loved master. Now, that's an interesting picture for worship. That worship is to come and prostrate yourself before God. To draw so near that you submit, that you kiss the hand of the one who made you, who paid for you and who loves you. It's why when people say, oh, you know, you worship and you do all this weird thing with flags and, and you ask people to kneel down and lie down and, oh, I'm not certain that's biblical. I think it's entirely biblical. Because worship is not about singing. It's about coming near to our master and saying, you are worthy of everything. And I will show it not just with my mind, but with my body. In Revelation, there is a lot of worship and lots of things that make up worship. Hymns, incense, singing, crowns being thrown, prayers, shouts of celebration, victory songs, sacred meals. So the next time somebody teases you and says, do you go to that mad lot at CSSM or that celebrate church, you do all that weird stuff? Say, yeah, I do. And do you know why? Because it's biblical. Because the revelation picture of worship is rich and varied. And it's all aimed at the same thing. Come and meet God and be changed in the meeting. Worship is meant to be rich and multi-layered and powerful because that's how it is in heaven. It's interesting that the song broken, that's all. That's one of the pictures in Revelation. Unbroken praise is his. For heaven to come to earth means unbroken praise needs to happen here. 
Because actually, it's an important note which people often miss in Revelation. Until chapter 19, all the worship that's in Revelation happens in heaven. None of it happens on earth. For the first 19 chapters, it's all about what happens on heaven. All you get on earth is one song being sung. All the rest of the description about worship is about what's going on in the heavenly realities. So there's a, there's a song of laments in seven, chapters 17 and 18. But the vast majority is about what's going on in heaven. You see, when we worship, our aim is to connect to the heavenly reality of unbroken praise being before the throne and the whole of creation praising its creator. There's so much about worship. So guess what you're going to look at? Some passages about worship. If you're new to us, I don't like to do all the hard work myself. I'd like you to do some of it because I also think that for us as a body to interact with the Bible together is a really important thing. Because the Bible doesn't just speak to me, it speaks to us. And it will say, he will say, by his Holy Spirit, things to all of us. So I want you in three groups. Three groups of at least four person, people, persons, in a group. Okay? So it can be more, because I haven't counted you, I don't know how many there are, but I, I need three groups, because you're going to have three passages, and you're each going to look at a passage. So you lot, stop sitting there, come on, move around. <laughs> Join in. If you're, not, if you're nervous about this, if it's not something you're used to, sit quietly. If you struggle to read, we don't do it. Words. Okay, have we, got, have we got three groups? Les has decided he's a group, a law unto himself. No, I don't, I don't want a subgroup. I need you two to move. <laughs> well... You, 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 don't, you, only have, you don't really have the answers, you have some of my notes. Les, Les, do as you're told, it's always easier, mate. It's always easier just to, just to give in and do as you're told. It's, it's much simpler. Right then. So... You are each going to be given a passage. Listen up so that you know, because sometimes I have to say this about five times and it always amazes me. Deborah's group, you have Revelation 4, all of it. It's only about 11 verses. Revelation 4, all of it. You can swap it around and read different bits or do whatever you want to do. You guys. Sorry. We're just discussing something. That's good. Worship. Yeah, worship. That's good. Revelation 14, 1 to 11. Revelation 14, 1 to 11, which by a process of not very difficult elimination means you guys are Revelation 19, 1 to 10. Okay? I am going to want you to sort of, this, is, this will be a challenge, given that we're in Revelation, to give a short summary, a little description of what happens in the bit that you've read to each other, because you're not all going to get a chance to look at each other's passages. And where's my computer operator gone? He's vanished. Um, and there are some questions I'd like you to think about as well as you're looking through, which I will now come and try and find for you. Oh, hang on. Where have they gone? Oh, okay. My questions have vanished. You, might, you, you have to remember. To each other, you have the passage to each other. But I also want you to be able to answer, who does the worshipping? Because each passage is about worship. Who do they worship? Or whom, if you want to be grammatically more accurate. Whom do they worship? And how do they do the worship? Who does the worshipping? Whom do they worship and how? Who, who, how? Who do they worship? Whom do they worship? How do they worship? Is that all right? And you have 30 seconds. To, no. You've got five or six minutes. How are we doing? Are we at the point where we're feeling brave enough to speak to each other?
Is, is that the great stepping back so that somebody else volunteers? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to bring you to a conclusion just so we can keep moving on. Okay, I do need to go in the order that I gave them out. So group on my left, you need to be ready first. Okay, do, um, do listen up to each other. Because part of the point you'll see is that they're referring to each other. Oh, it's the breath of God. <laughs> yes. And um, you'll see, you should hopefully see there is a connection. Helen's going to do it with some of them. <laughs> Evelyn, can you do it? All right, don't, don't, just somebody do something. Okay. So tell us first what, what's in the passage that you're talking about. Because everybody else hasn't read it. Don't stop for a minute, is he? What does he? Don't do the classic thing of putting things in the text that aren't in the text. Well, the one who is on the throne oh, okay. Worship, so I presume it is okay. But you need to be careful. <laughs> what, what does the text actually say? The one who sits on the throne. It doesn't tell you who sat on the throne. Yeah. That's part of the point. Okay, it's so interesting. The one who sits on the throne. Yep. Chapter five. I, yeah. Yeah. In the text, it says the one who sits on the throne. Okay. It doesn't say God. It doesn't. No. Yet. <laughs> right, go on, keep going. Um, he's shown what's taking place in heaven. Yep. And, and the worship from the, 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 the living creatures and the 24 elders that are there and it's showing how they worship the one who's on the throne. Yep, okay. And wh- wh- how do they worship them? What do they do? The, the living creatures, they, they are just non-stop yep. proclaiming, declaring, holy, 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 Lord, yep. God, yep. Great. They're just proclaiming that yep. the, the elders, when they're hearing that, they just fall down frustrated. They're declaring as well, yep. they're honouring, you're, you're worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour. Yep. They're, they're just completely in submission. They're throwing their, their crowns before him. Great point. It's a really, really important point. Some some translations miss it. When when the elders start to worship, they say, "What did you worthy?" Sometimes they'll they'll it'll start with, "You Lord deserve," which means they're making a choice. It's a really important point. The elders aren't being made to worship. It's a response of worship, and they make a, a mentally, if you like, a spiritual decision. You are worthy, God. You are worthy. It's why it's important you get this picture of these, these four living creatures. And there's lots of different ways of interpreting those. Some say it's meant to be the whole of creation because you've got a winged beast and you've got a man and you've got people on the, something that's on the earth. So it's the all, all of creation. And then you've got representatives of humanity. And what's the difference between them? Earth worships naturally. Man has to make the choice because they deserve worship. Yeah. So, and remember, if you like, this is, this is the opening chapter of the big bit of Revelation. The first three chapters are John meets Jesus and he has his head churches. This is the meaty bits, yeah? A door stands open. And I know it says, come up here. A better inference is come near. So it's not that heaven is up there and he's reaching up for it. It's almost like step through. Because heaven and earth are near each other. Step through and see the heavenly reality that is always going on. Does that make sense? Other interpreters would, would they take the four living creatures and for a long time they've been connected to the four gospels. So they would say Matthew, Matthew's the gospel that's written to the Jewish people, yes, and the lion, Judah, the lion of Judah would be the connection. So the lion is Matthew. Mark, the picture of, there's a picture of an ox. An ox is a powerful beast. Mark's gospel was written to the Romans, the centre of power at that time. So they often connect the ox to Mark. Luke, Luke has more detailed copies of all the healings than any other gospel. So a man who wants detail would be Luke. And the eagle, well, eagles fly and take a completely different view to everybody else. And that's John. That would often be the way... It's helpful. I don't know if it's the only way you should understand them. 
but there are some big points. Who worships these the, the creatures and the elders? Whom do they worship? I picked you up carefully. The one seated on the throne. How do they worship? They declare him as worthy. 24 hours a day. Yep. It's always been happening. It's always happening now. And it's always going to keep on happening. Brilliant. Okay. So, hang on. Well, that's what I was saying. The, the Gospels, possibly. Possibly the whole of creation. I don't know. I don't want to get too stuck into specifics, but I'm just, there are different ways of looking at it. Uh, who wants to tell us, what did you have? Well, Revelation? Of what? No. Well, tell us what happens first. Describe what happens. Yeah, don't, Julie, don't read it all to us. Okay, right, just give us a summary. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all the springs of water. Okay. Keep going. Yep. 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 Okay, great. So another, so another question for you. Is that the only worship that's just described in the bit that you've just read? Because actually there's some other worship going on. No, some different. Some people are worshiping something else. Go on. Okay. Then a third angel followed them, shouting with a mighty voice, "Whoever worships the wild beast and its images will receive the mark of his forehead on sorry, on his forehead on or on his hand." Yeah. Yeah. So they were, they were all. Yeah. So it's an important point in this passage, in this 44,000 me, but a lot. You can get into all sorts of stuff, 12 times 12, 144, the 12 tribes and the 12 disciples, times by a thousand to say there's a lot of them. I think the point is they are the first fruits of worship. If you like, they're the commandos of the kingdom, the ones who are, who are storming the beach. Because actually what's happened between these two passages, John has seen there's a whole load of battle going on. There's beasts coming out of the sea and there's beasts on the land and there's all sorts of weird stuff happening. But then we're called back into the reality that worship is still going on. Yes. And part of how they worship actually is with their purity. Yes, because it, it says they are like virgins. It's a mark of purity. They haven't bent the knee to anybody else, but some people have. And, and that's part of the point, because the battle is worship is always happening. But who do people worship? The God of this world, of the God of the world and all of creation. I often say to some people, bow the knee to Jesus. Because make no mistake, you will bow your knee to Jesus. We're told at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You will see him in glory and honour. And when you do, you will bow the knee. But if you bow it now, you get a life with him. If you bow it then, it's too late. Because if you only recognise him when you've got no other choice, you haven't used your will to worship him. You've used your will to worship something else. So, start with worship. Big battle, worship carries on. And then, Revelation 19. Microphone. We'll come to you. Three pictures in um, the roar of a great uh, multitude. Yep. Um, there are the 24 elders and the mm -hmm. holy creatures. Also, there's a bit towards the end where uh, John falls down in front of an angel yep. and the angel says, get up, don't worship me, I'm a yep. servant like you. Yep. Um, so who does the worshipping? Um, we There's a multitude mentioned, yep. um, but doesn't really say who the multitude are, it just says um, the roar of a great multitude. Um, the 24 elders and the four living creatures are worshipping. Yep. 
Great, keep going. John was worshipping. Yep. Uh, whom do they worship? Um, so ours does actually mention that it is God that's seated on the throne. Exactly, that's the point, you see. Because at the start of the battle, it's the one seated on the throne. But the battle reveals who's in charge. God, who is seated on the throne. That's the point. Worship clarifies who it is who's winning the battle. God, who is seated on the throne. It's why don't leap in and see things that aren't there. Because when you do, you miss the point. Is that the You've seen, all you know is that somebody's seated on the throne. It doesn't say who. Yeah, but we've read the whole thing. Exactly. <laughs> but that's part of the point, is you, you miss the impact of a bit when you jump ahead and take something that's saved for here into there. I, the, the easy illustration, this is Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, people fill in the blanks when it actually says there's a greater light and a lesser light, and people say, oh, it's the sun and the moon. It doesn't say the sun and the moon, and it doesn't say it for a very good reason. Because everybody else worshipped the sun and the moon and the writer of Genesis says the sun and the moon are so unimportant I'm not even going to name them. Big light and little light and we fill in the blanks and by doing so we miss the points. Oh, little. So ours was um, uh, described as a roar of a great multitude. Yep. Uh, they were shouting, they were making declarations. Great, no, that's great. Cool, excellent. Again, some interesting things. At the start, it's just the throne room of heaven we see, the, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. In the middle, they've been added to 100, by to 144,000. By the end, a great multitude are now worshipping. But some of the things they say are quite similar. But other things get added in. Action Revelation 19, it says something really important. Now is the time for the wedding feast. How do they worship? With a banquet. Any Jew would understand that because the idea was the Messiah would come and set a table in the, in the sight of his enemies, Psalm 23. Yes? The Messianic banquet. God brings abundance and celebration. If... We understand that worship comes first, worship in the middle of the battle, and when you're end at, the other end, at the end of the battle, guess what you do? You worship. Because worship is warfare. It's what keeps you focused. It's how you know who is in charge. How do you get to understand who sat on the throne? By keeping on worshipping. And actually, verse 10 in your bit is a really important little key to the whole thing. Because John falls down and starts worshipping the angel. And the angel says, oh, no, 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 no. Get up, get up, get up quick. Because if you worship anybody but him, you're in trouble. Worship should only be directed to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some other people are destruction. It's this massive theme and when we break it down and argue over who the elders are and what the Carillion is and all that sort of stuff, I'm not despising knowing details of the Bible, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm simply saying there's a bigger theme to get hold of that, that points us towards something. Worship is the substance of heaven. We keep being taken back to the throne room to see that even after all this stuff, Worship has kept happening. And at the end, worship is what declares that God has won his victory. Because that's the way history is always going. Worship before, during and after the struggles. Worship is warfare. It gets us ready. It keeps us going and it helps us see the points. But actually, there's a bit more going on as well. You see... Sometimes in the Bible, very particular phrases are used to make a point, which, again, we sometimes miss. Jesus says in John, doesn't he, I am the bread of life. 
Do you know when he said that, he was undermining the Roman powers? Because Caesar had arranged what was called the dole. It's where we get our word from when you used to be going to get unemployment benefit. You said to go to get the dole because that was the word for bread. Because bread was given out in Rome. And guess what Caesar said about himself? I am the bread of life. Because I give out bread. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I am the bread of life. And if you eat this bread, you'll never be hungry again. Because what I give is much better than anything that Caesar can give. And there was a throne room in Rome, in the Senate, upon which a throne was made and upon which the emperor sat. And all the groveling senators, they took off their made them saying, oh, emperor, you're amazing. Can I have that job you promised me? And John is saying that's a pale rip-off, pointless, worthless imitation. There is somebody seated on the throne and you only know him by worshipping him. And he is the God who made everything. And if you choose to focus yourself on where you think power is, you are missing the point. The real power is in heaven. It's very deliberately written. Do you know one of the words that the, the, the senators would cry out before the emperor? You are worthy. You are worthy. And John says, no, 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 no. God is worthy. And actually, it's a word that's not used in the Old Testament to describe God. Holy, absolutely. But worthy is something that comes through experience of knowing who God is and seeing how God works. Who remembers spitting image? Remember Spitting Image? It's coming back, apparently. Yeah, they're talking about doing a new series of, of Spitting Image. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this, I mean who, who wants to see Boris Johnson as a Spitting Image doll? Oh, absolutely. Or Jeremy Corbyn, that'd be a laugh as well. Anyway. He, he will be a Spitting Image, yeah, yeah. John, 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 John's doing a spitting image. He's doing a parody. He's saying, laugh at them because they're not worth it. There is one who reigns. It's why, some people have heard me say this, we, we, there's a new song that Jeremy Riddle wrote about a year ago, you know, when it has that amazing chorus, all hail King Jesus, all hail the saviour of the world. And I, I, I've, when I've introduced it in worship a few times, I've said to you, biblical, See, and Jeremy Riddle is taking an absolutely biblical pattern and saying, no, 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 all hail Jesus. He is the saviour, not of the Roman Empire, but of the world. And it's this idea of, of reclaiming imagery to keep it for purity in worship. I, I love all hail King Jesus. It's such a good, well-written song. The big theme of Revelation is that who, whom and how people worship matters what people worship makes all the difference follow the powers that seem to rule like Rome or for us materialism or sexuality or money you are giving your attention to a cheap copy of the real thing that only leads to destruction God-centred worship that gives praise and glory and obedience, because in your passage they give obedience, it's about purity. Well, what does that do? Again, in, in Revelation 14, those who worship God get a mark on their forehead. Because what we worship transforms us. We become like that which we worship. So why do they get the mark of the beast? Because they've been worshipping the beast. We get labelled by what we worship. It impints something on us. If we fix ourselves on anything else but him, Revelation tells us we are feeding the very powers that lead to our own destruction. It's a massive theme. 
there's much more we could do on what's happening inside these these images that we're being drawn into worship at the start worship in the middle worship at the end because our lives should be about worship Sunday morning that is submission laid down before God it might be a song it might also be serving somebody a meal it might be writing a poem it might be painting a picture it might be faithfully reading your Bible living out your faith in a real way so that other people see it because you have been marked by your worship for others to see it might not seem like the most obvious thing to preach on at the start of 2020 because actually this is my this is the first sermon of this new year I know we're three weeks into it but we had a prayer breakfast then we were at Stephen Charlotte's and then we're back here but actually it's incredibly relevant because because we we say we want to be a church that first and foremost is about his presence about fixing all our lives on him because that's what worship should be about what we sing what we say and what we read all matters but so does what we do and who we are again i'm, I'm gonna that matt redmond song may, may my deeds outweigh my songs may who i am be worship not just what i do by writing a song it's a really i mean well done because i've, I've drawn so much out of that one song it's like great thank you so much for using that this morning we should want to be the people whose first response be the times good or bad is to fix our eyes and say he is worthy he is worthy even if i don't feel like it even if it's not easy even if 2020 holds more uncertainty than surety he is worthy we should be the people whose lives are marked by being the people who know who to worship and how to worship with everything we're still at the start of trace so what do you do you worship you keep calling to mind that he is better than you can think dream or imagine you keep calling to mind that worship is the substance of heaven. If you want to be drawn into his presence, worship him. But Revelation also gives some clues. It says worship is about him, it's not about us. Because the praise goes to the one who sat on the throne. And I, I love songs that draw us into intimacy. I love the songs that say something about what, what I'm going to do in response but I do think we need to be really careful when we're worshipping that we spend a lot of the time simply telling God how good he is. Because it, it's not actually not to do with me, it's to do with him. The, the danger with the songs that are all about intimacy is that intimacy becomes introspection. It becomes about me. Well, Bill Johnson says, no, it's great, again, great line, and I find it very relevant for me. Nobody goes into introspection and comes out encouraged. You don't go into looking at yourself and think how good you are. You come out of looking at yourself and think, man, I make a mess of things, don't you? Intimacy can feed introversion that can feed introspection. That can be dangerous. I always, Getting that attitude of gratitude, finding the thing to be thankful for, looking at him and starting with him. When I'm leading worship, I'm, you know, people joke when Stuart leads the worship, the songs will be loud and they virtually always are when I lead worship because I want to start with songs that say, doesn't matter how I feel, doesn't matter what the circumstance is, doesn't matter what the battle has been, he is good. Amen. Separate to my circumstances, he deserves my praise because he's seated on the throne and the whole of creation revolves around him, not me two fundamental rules for human wisdom there is a God we want to go deeper and we we long to see a kingdom breakthrough brilliant how do you do that align yourself with heaven welcome his presence by worship worship is not soft or easy and neither is it all about emotion 
Worship is a military tactic. It's how we know the battle is worth fighting and how it will be won. So, what gets in the way of your worship? Is it your intellect? Your desire to understand and study and analyse? All those are good things, but if they stop you worshipping, it's a problem. That's the picture that Revelation paints, that God is bigger than you can think, dream or imagine, that all this rich imagery is used for worship, so why would you limit him to your intellect? There is a God, you're not him. He's bigger and better than you can think, dream or imagine. Use your intellect, absolutely, but if you control your relationship by God and limit it to what you can understand, I've got news for you. You're never going to understand him. You're never going to understand him. He's beyond all our words, all our theology, all our thinking. I, I, I read theology and I love doing it. But if it leads me to think that I can work out God, I've got a problem. Is it a past hurt? It's the blood of the lamb that wins the victory in Revelation. And he has paid for forgiveness for you and for whatever anybody has done to you. Tread on, because it's, but if it's a past distance that you are holding on to that stops you worshiping, or even a present disappointment and hurt, with great love and with an enormous wish to pastorally support you and with a desire to walk through it with you, get over it. Get help and get over it because he paid for everything to come back to him in worship. Maybe it's a future worry. If you knew what I faced this year, Stuart, if you knew the difficulties that are surmounting me, are in front of me this year. Yeah, but Revelation says, whatever's coming, fix your eyes on him. Whatever's coming. The, part, the point of encounter with Jesus is to be one with the one who has overcome and who calls us to become overcomers. How do we do it? By refusing to do anything else but worship. When everything else is going wrong and when everybody else walks away, no, I'm going to worship. I'm going to show that he is worth everything. Revelation is meant to encourage and excite and inspire us. It's meant to be a book that draws us into heavenly realities so that we can bring heaven to earth. How do we do it? Worship. There's so much imagery in here and so much that's meant to draw us. Don't get lost in the detail. See the picture. Worship at the start. Worship in the middle. Worship at the end. God doesn't need your worship. He wants it. It honours him. Willing worship is the key, the circumcoming. Thank you for that. Thank you. So, I named three areas. Is it your intellect? Is it a past hurt? Or is it a future worry? Just for a minute, be quiet before the Lord. And ask him, is there something that stops you worshipping? Is it one of those three things or is it something else? Give it to him. Ask him, Lord, is there something in my life that stops me worshipping? Say that out loud, but then don't say the answer that he may well give you. So we'll say it together. Lord, is there something in my life that stops me worshipping?
Now ask him, Lord, where, if there is something, where has that come from? Where has it come from, Lord? Ask him together, where has it come from? And he might give you a picture of a person because he wants to use your imagination. It might be a situation. It might be a hurt that you're still holding on to. And then ask him, what's the lie behind that situation? Is it that you think that person is unforgivable? Is it that security comes from what you have, not from who you know? Ask him, what's the lie? And then give him the lie and ask him for the truth. The truth is, he's paid for every sin. The truth is, he has all the resources you need. The truth is, he was there in that disappointment and he will continue to be so. Let him tell you the truth. And then I'm just going to pray over us. Lord, we pray that we would be a people that are marked by our worship. That is about you. That is for you. And that transforms us. We want to be the people who join with the worship of heaven to willingly give you our lives and say you are 